another another day in the uh, in the circus of the uh, crew stooges right um <laughs> i like that the crew stooges yeah, the yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh 
Oh man, it just, I, I don't even know where to start, but it's, I mean, it just, every day it's just, it's, it's something else. And, you know, we've had this big thing, you know, recent with uh, Mick Mars launching this lawsuit against his, uh, his bandmates uh, saying that he's, uh, he's being forced out of the band, uh, a gaslighting, if you will, of him uh, by Nikki Six. Uh, there's, a, there's a whole bunch of different details in this story that's going to come out. I've been telling people for the past year that things were not going well, and I was dead on the money. Um, but we've got now, there's there's uh, some new stories that have come out at TheMetalDen.com that you'll find right now. Um, the big one the big one that just came out yesterday was, uh, you know, Nikki Six is saying that Mick Mars, first off, said that Nikki Six did not play the bass one note. Uh, during the stadium tour, that he was playing the entire time to pre-recorded backing tracks. Okay, uh, so Nikki Six is his come back out and said that no, that's not true. That he that he has been playing on tour, and that Mick is lying. Well, yesterday I posted some footage from their Mexico concert here in 2023, um, where where Nikki is crossing the stage past Vince Neil at one point during a song and. Nikki throws both his arms up in the air, and miraculously, the bass is still playing. Notes are still playing. <laughs> so I put that up for everybody to check out. You know, this is this is just comedy at its highest level. I mean, this anybody in the industry that that has been around as long as I have since the start of Motley Crue. I mean, I was going to, the, to the, their first concert, Shout the Devil, and when I was twelve, you know, in L.A. Yeah. Um, you know, they came out of my stomps. And so uh, the thing is, is that Nikki Six, anybody that knows this whole story, Nikki Six has never been able to play the bass. Okay. Now there's, there's playing the bass. I mean, you could put, you could put anybody that put a, give them the bass and let them try to play on it, fumble around on it. That's fine. And you can sit there and you can just ride the open E if you want and have fun. But there is, there, there is actual, there is a technical, uh, you know, aspect to bass playing. Um, it's not as easy as everyone thinks it is. I'm actually a bassist, so I know this firsthand. I actually, unlike Nikki Six, who plays with a pick, I play with my fingers, which is 10 times more difficult. Um, and the proper way to play, because that's the best way to get uh, the best tone, in my opinion. Um, plus, you're going to have the best action uh, you know, with, with, your, with your fingers, I believe. Anyway, so... Uh, but you develop calluses. You can bleed from it, uh, from playing with your fingers against the the, the uh, you know the, the metal string. And so you know it's something that you have to you have to keep in mind when you're going to go play the bass. But Nicky has never played with his fingers. He's always played with his his um, with a pick. And now one thing story that will come out today it hasn't dropped yet. I haven't pushed uh, published yet on it, but it's getting ready to come out. Um, Bob Rock, and this is a story that has has blown up as well. The story about him uh, being purportedly the the ghost bassist for the new Motley Crue album. Now, what I'm being told is that they're doing everything they can to to try to make this thing work. And, and there's a lot of reasons because because of the lawsuit, they're trying to get these things moving fast with this album, which was pretty amazing. They had nothing going on with this album. Nikki Six says a week ago he starts writing the first song, and now they're done in a week writing the whole album. Isn't that amazing? Well, 
I've been tipped off. This is this is not possible, ladies and gentlemen. There is a. This is why albums take, in some cases, years to make, uh, to even just write the songs, let alone you know go into and, and record them and then you know mix and master. Look, you have to at this point. Yeah, they're 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 pulling the wool over everybody's eyes. They're uh, I'm being told that they're uh, they they're using AI, artificial intelligence, to compose these songs. They're going back to uh, what they're doing, and you can, with artificial intelligence, and this is something that you can see out there with the fake Drake song right now that's out there. Um, there's there's a lot of this going on where you can actually use artificial intelligence to recreate and to uh, to to get an actual that that artist's voice into a song without actually the artist actually even singing. And anybody knows like the Val Kilmer situation with him losing his voice from, from the cancer battle? Well, they they did they, they did with some tech uh, similar technology. They were able to recreate his voice by just him typing in the computer, and then because they sampled his his original voice from back when he was younger, then this amazing technology he it it, it he just has to type in the thing and it talks for him. So. This is this is all this technology is really advanced. It's 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 definitely real. It's being used in the music industry. Um, I believe that uh, this article I'll be putting up today about Bob Rock. I believe he's involved in the cover up of of Nikki Six, the fake bass player. Um, he said at one point in, in an interview back in uh, uh, several years back that with Gibson, uh, Bob Rock was talking about the whole uh, process of working with Motley Crue, going back to Doctor Feelgood when they first approached to work with him. And then he worked on, right? Then he worked on the greatest hits, and then he worked on the the, the next one after uh, the the one in '94 with John Karabi. Okay, they had so see how they got rid of Vince. Well, he was so upset and pissed off about that that I'm being told that he did not want that to happen again with uh, with this album, and that was a, a prerequisite for him to to produce and work with Motley Crue again was that Vince was going to be the singer. And that's because of for for, for record sales, um, it, money, money, money. It's all business. So what I'm being told is they're doing everything they can to piece together uh, Vince Neil's voice in the studio with artificial intelligence. Uh, they're even uh, bringing in some ghost vocalists. Uh, I've talked in the past uh, about uh, Scott Stapp. I'm hearing he's 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 in the mix on this, uh, as well as Vince Neil's son, who is. Uh, Who's it? Who's a? He's an actual singer, yeah, and he's he's been in like a Motley Crue tribute band, so you can see, yeah, yeah, you could. Uh, I guess his name's uh, uh, his last name is Wharton, Neil Jason, uh, if I got that right, yeah. Um, and he, uh, he, a lot of people don't know about him, but he's real talented. He can actually sing. Uh, you can find him on YouTube and uh, and, and hear these. Uh, he sings the old crew classics just as good as his dad did back in 30 years ago. Well, Vince, Vince Neil. Well, Vince Neil's voice is gone. I, he can, if he can't sing on the stage with, and he's got a lip sync, like I said, he was gonna he was gonna do in the first place. There is no way that he's gonna be able to just go in the studio with this broken down voice and record a new album. So. They're going to have to do some some magical things and so, and use some of the technology that's available to them uh, to get this to get this done. And apparently, it is done. It's it's going to mixing now. And th amazingly, within within a week's time of, of starting the album, <laughs> so.
Yeah. I mean, I wish I was Me too. Me too. So, I like look, I like this and I know this is only a rock and roll, death for great for gained uh 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 podcast. But I like this photo you took. I, I didn't know the crew let you come take a photo of them. There's a brand new photo you've got of them out there and I love this new photo you got of them, man. Um uh, Vince Neal and John Five, Dickie Six, and Tommy Lee just look just like them, man. Oh, you mean the, McDo- the McDonald's one with all the McDonald's characters? Yeah. <laughs> and John Five is is is, is Ronald McDonald. Yeah, of course, <laughs> with the makeup on, the clown makeup. It's perfect because they wear makeup. Yeah. Yeah, this one looks good, man. Thank Actually, you. I think that should be their on their next album. That should be the album cover. <laughs> That should be it. And, and you see that you see the McDonald's the, the M's for the for for Motley. Yeah, Isn't that great? The M, M on that one clown looking car or whatnot. Um, you know this is this is this this whole backing tracks thing. If anybody's been following uh, this whole thing with uh, Pantera getting busted with the backing tracks, now this just happened in the past week as well. I broke that story. Oh, yeah. yeah, this is a big one. This this is actually the biggest. Uh, uh, new story in rock and roll the past week. Um, I put out a story just about a week ago. Um, I was watching um, the Pantera's first U.S. Uh, concert in whatever, 20, 20 some years um, that they played here in the United States. And I caught, uh, you know, uh, Zach Wilde, the guitarist, the fill in for, for uh, the late Dimebag Daryl, uh, playing along the backing track himself um the song is called becoming by pantera and you cannot play that song uh without a uh digitech whammy pedal and he's not using a whammy pedal yet the effect in that song is still heard on the stage that's called piping in a backing track Uh, that story well to be honest with you dimebag did the same thing when he was on tour Okay, because uh, you know, if you've seen any of the footage of him playing this song in the studio, he's playing with a a, a pedal. So yeah, 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 yeah. it's not a it's not it's a squeal that's happening in the song, but it's not a harmonic yeah. squeal. It's a different type of squeal. It's being a, it's being done with that Digitech whammy pedal, where you have to you have to fret the fret the note, and then you you press on the pedal at the same time to get that pitch shifted. And yeah. it, it sounds it sounds similar to a harmonic squeal but a harmonic squeal you can just do that you don't with your fret hand you don't need that um you don't need that pedal for that but so anyways that story broke uh i mean dozens and dozens of major fm rock stations all across the country have put this this story of mine up about zach wilde i mean all all, all the way to brazil um you've got alice cooper's uh, nights with alice cooper's radio station uh radio site has put uh, put that up for you know on his radio show. It's it's all over the place, and we're talking millions and millions of people. So that's the biggest one of the of the past week for sure. It is. It definitely is. Well, we're going to get into talking about uh, Chris Cornell this morning here in just a few moments. We'll take a short break, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, come back here, stay with us. We've got our friend Randy Rock and Cody from the Metal Den.com. Go online, get it. Definitely, definitely look at all the wonderful. Articles and it's worth the monthly fee, unlike uh, David Pakman and uh, Stephen Crowder. Yeah. Anyway, uh, yeah, I call it. Yeah, I call the names out. Yeah, I call the names. 
Anyway, back in a moment. Stay with us more on the way. We're going to get into the Chris Cornell death investigation after this. Stay with us more on the way. The Rhino Radio Penitentiary Cruises on. All right, brother. All right. Yeah, I called him out, man. Man, I couldn't believe how big that Zach Wild story got, though. Well, that stuff right now, that's, this, that's what's going on right now to where they're paying attention to it because it's, it's something that, uh, every, because it's such a big deal. Yeah, well, it's been going on for forever. I mean, it's, it's not like it's not like Motley Crue. Motley Crue's been fighting each other for years. We all, everybody already knew that. Oh yeah. But, I mean, they sucker <laughs> they sucker punch. I mean, Vince Neil sucker punched Tommy Lee one time at some charity event. <laughs> so this is stuff that all this infighting and it's like I said all along. You know, it's been going on forever and. Uh, they've been saying it themselves, all this talk coming out of crew camp that they weren't happy with Mick all these years and da 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 da. You know, and you know, it's 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 just, it's nice finally that it's come to this where, you know where we've got some confirmation where Mick comes out and, and this and, and now this this lawsuit, I mean how much more can it blatantly can can it be that I was dead on the money with all this and uh, it's pretty cool. Well, you've been following it. You know who you got. That's the reality of it. You already been following for years. They so already knew it was going to happen. But uh, other people, other people, just, they, they wait after it's done to jump on on the bandwagon. So, yeah, including yeah. the websites. Who, all, yeah. who, 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 you know, like to. Uh, I like this McDonald's uh, picture. I said, this is the coolest thing I've seen in a long time. I was like, this should be on their album. You never, you hadn't seen it. Like, this is going to be on your album. This is going to be on your album. Okay. I think that should be on the back, the back cover. Yeah. That is just funny. Cover. I wish they would. I wish they would. That would be hilarious. Top five is Ronald McDonald's perfect. Isn't it? Yeah, I thought that was too. Hilar and then look at, look at, uh, look at Vince. Vince. He's the big, he's the big purple guy. What's that guy, Grimace? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> he's I'm got <laughs> He's got a grimace head, dude. For sure. He's got a little grimace. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, we're ready to come back, bro. Alright. Welcome back into the Rhino Radio Penitentiary. You're tuned in right here and you hear a little spoon man in the background. Our guest this morning is the biggest name in metal. He's the world, world's most dangerous journalist. Two great websites, and we're going to talk about them later. But right now, we're going to dive into this morning's topic, Chris Cornell's death investigation. Uh, it is, uh, once again, uh, time for us to celebrate the life of one of the greatest singers of all time. One of the greatest musicians, I should say, of all time, Chris Cornell. So before we get into uh, uh, your new report, let's get a little let's get a little thought uh, your thought thoughts on Chris Cornell, uh, Randy. Oh wow! You know it's um, yeah, being at the uh, coming up on here on the six year uh, you know death anniversary for Chris and looking back at, at what an incredible legacy uh, that he's had, not just in music but as a humanitarian. 
Um, right. That's a lot that's covered in this new report that I put out at themetalden.com today. And um, right. as well, I, I the, the last half of the report, I actually go, there's there's some, um, you know, talk talk about his legacy in music as well. And uh, But Chris, you know, he was one of a kind. Uh, yeah. And there's just, there's nobody that, that's, that's anything like Chris. Uh, you know, his, his music continues to inspire people all around the world and uh, yeah. and uplift people. Believe it or not, uplift people. You know, it's not it's not this necessarily this dark, depressing thing. There's a lot of people that really uh, that use Chris as, as, a, as a positive um, sort of source in their life right. and, and, and as well as I do. And so I think that that's what people need to focus on the most when they think about Chris is is what a uh, what a bright light he was, and and how he still continues to inspire people to this day. Definitely. So we're going to get into talking about the new uh, report out. They, of course, Soundgarden is one of the four pillars of the grunge movement in the uh, late uh, the early ninety late 90s, 93, 94, along with uh, Pearl Jam, Alice in Chains, and Soundgarden, that, those four bands to me were really four different sounds bringing the grudge movement to a head there. So let's talk about your new hashtag True for Chris report posted at TheMetalDead.com. What is the title and what can the fans expect? Okay, the title is Chris Cornell's Murder, His Brave Fight to Save Children and Expose the Illuminati. And okay. this is uh, kind of like... Uh, it gives you the full, if you've not really been on to read about this investigation online uh, yet, and you're just now learning about, about this situation, uh, I've tried to kind of give you a review of what's happened over the past six years during my, my uh, independent investigation that I've been doing, and uh, includes include different um, videos in, in the report that you can click on and, and get, a, get a summary by watching a video as well, besides just reading the report. Um, there's actually a uh, a new um, couple different uh, items that that you'll find in there that I've just uh, uh, come across. It was one called "Suicided," a, a document yeah. a documentary that was done that I thought was real well done, and and, and uh, I'm mentioned in it uh, with my investigation. So I put that in there, and that was off of a site called. Um, dauntlessdialogue.com and I've also linked their article as well which they kind of did like a again a summary of this investigation and they named my investigation the best the best of them all of course. <laughs> pretty amazing that is awesome brother I'm so proud of that that's um, a big honor but you're going to be holding a visual for Chris all day and all night on the DMV site what <laughs> What you feel is, is the actual Christmas death day, not the 18th. Can you explain how you determined that the 17th was the death day instead of the 18th? Yeah, what I did during my uh, my forensic analysis of the of the homicide scene, uh, with, with in respect to Chris when he left the Soundgarden concert um, on the 17th, um, I believe it was sold out there in Detroit. And he went back to his hotel room. Um, there's just a lot of foul play that, that, that seems to have happened behind that, that closed door. We know that his bodyguard was with Chris at all times at that point in his life. And, and Chris, they're, they're saying purportedly Chris was going off the rails and was 
was having some kind of a, a manic or some kind of some kind of an episode where he was um, he was arguing with his wife on the phone. She that's what she claimed. And then at some point he's left alone by the bodyguard, and 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 then he's he supposedly takes his life. Well, what I found out from my investigation is that there was there was a lot more going on there. There was a, there was an actual fight that that broke out inside that hotel room for Chris to suffer the kind of physical damage that he did. It would not be consistent with a uh, suicide uh, by hanging. Um, Chris was also only partially suspended. Uh, people don't realize that, meaning he his both his feet were not off the ground. Okay, so um, when when he was found, you know they found a lot of different injuries on him that I pointed out, uh, including a head wound that uh, would be consistent with with someone uh, being attacked, um, uh, uh, fractured you know ribs, nine of them. That's just not consistent with someone who's who's hung themselves or has, has had CPR performed on them that's in Chris's shape. Now, if he was an elderly guy and, you know, a lot more frail, then, yeah, when you go to do the chest compressions, you can do a lot more breaks. But Chris was a real healthy, you know, early 50s, took really good care of himself from the people I spoke to who were around Chris um, at the time, it last couple years of his life. He was in really good physical shape, taking care of himself, real healthy. And so these these injuries are just, uh, they're, they're suspect. And now... The one thing that I determined, and to answer your question, is that I pushed the clock back on Chris's um, time of death by two hours. I pushed it back from 1.30 in the morning on the 18th, which is when they, the death pronouncement was done by the, right. uh, by the authorities. I pushed it back two hours to 11.30 p.m. on the 17th because, uh, because what I found out about how long it takes the, the body – to become cold to the touch, um, even in just a regular uh, seventy degree temperature room, it's still going to take a couple hours. So that's what I did because the the um, the guy that was on the scene, the medic, that was one of the comments that he made. His observation was by touching Chris, he was cold to the touch all over his entire body. So for that to happen, it takes at least two hours. He would have to be dead. So that pushes the clock back. To, to that time, like I said, two hours back to 11.30 p.m. Uh, on the 17th is when he would have actually died. Yeah. It, it sounds like uh, there's a lot to this because I know that you've done some interviews with uh, Detroit I think once I started really reporting heavily on it uh, with these these long format uh, forensic dissertations that were yeah. just blowing people's minds, you know, and and then connecting the fact that you know Martin works in, in the security business, and um, and and I learned he was connect he's connected to Mossad, which we know that Ghislaine Maxwell, who's the one that got uh, the twenty years in the Jeffrey Epstein uh, orgy island. Uh, fiasco, the human trafficking and all that with the elites related to that and the black book, you know, that this, this, uh, Ghislaine Maxwell, her father, Robert Maxwell was, was Mossad. 
So I think that because I made such a because I outed uh, this this guy, uh, they they had to take that you know they decided to take it out. Um, I don't know why they would do that, but I, I was it was literally the last question that the was asked of me in the interview by George Hunter. Uh, the last thing he says is, "Who do you think did it?" That was the last question he asked me, and I said, "Who I my prime suspect is Martin Curse and the bodyguard." And at that time, this whole thing with the Pizzagate and connecting all the dots to that and everything was still, it was, it was still so early on that I was still just trying to focus really on it as as, as an individual homicide. Yeah, and you know what? Uh, normal, normally, when, when they do write a article like this, they go, he thinks the prime suspect was the bodyguard. They could have, if, if they could have, if they decided to leave his name out for, say, legal reasons, they could have said this. Yeah. Well, you know, people have to realize I was doing a lot of interviews and ha still have been, uh, but I was doing a lot of interviews around that time. And I did one interview uh, and Vicky's brother, Vicky Cornell's brother, actually tried to, to interfere with me going on the radio show. That makes sense. That so he said sense. he did not want me going on the radio show. So that was what was that's what the host was telling me. So um I said, well, I said, you don't have to have me on if you don't want to. <laughs> but he had me on, you know. It, it, it's just, I think it's very telling. I think all this stuff is very telling. I think it's, it's it continues to to point to, to foul play. I mean, uh, you know, Vicky moved so fast to, to cremate Chris when she's got all these questions and stuff about uh, what what kind of drugs are in him and this sort of stuff. Why wasn't a, uh, why wasn't a, a full-blown analysis uh, allowed to be done? With uh, with respect to um, you know th that that sort of thing, and so I, I have no idea why why she would behave that way if she really did love her husband and she's not some uh, evil person who's got some you know some 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 kind of uh, sinister uh, plot going on behind the scenes against her husband. I I told everybody the facts with the the, the foundation that Chris and Vicky had that uh, it went black right before he died. And and there was all sorts of controversy with the money uh, going missing from from the account. Um, Vicky is at the top of, of uh, the totem pole as far as running the foundation, um, but there's just a lot of really suspicious things going on with that at the same at the same time that Chris dies that that gets you to wondering. You've been wondering too because think about it. If you would think that a loving wife. Even one that maybe has a little distance there, I mean, in this situation would want the truth to come out about her husband, especially with the foundation that they were here helping children out, helping people out, making sure, you know, because they were against human trafficking, which is very big on the West Coast, but it's very big in Atlanta. But Vicki Cornell acts very highly suspicious since her husband was found dead. We know she kept changing her story with the police. What other evidence do you have that you have uncovered that points for her being involved in this murder? Like, was she the call person to get it done, or did, you know, how, what's her involvement in it? Well, uh, that that's a great question, and it, and it can be as simple as uh, you know, make, pulling the strings from from behind uh, 
um, a, a closed curtain, you know, and, and, and nobody seeing what she's doing and, and her, her manipulating things from behind behind the scene. And so um, what um, what I found in my investigation, this is this is uh, in the report and it goes more into this black book that Chris Cornell came across uh, from Jeffrey Epstein uh, that was owned. Uh, that was Jeffrey Epstein's black book. And this has uh, has named a whole lot of different people that were um, that were part of his inner circle. And were, apparently, were going over and flying over uh, at times to Orgy Island. And um, this this is uh, big because you know we're talking names like um, the Clintons. Uh, Courtney Love um, is named in there. Now, Courtney, she was oddly enough, she was at the funeral for Chris Cornell, yeah. right? And. And she's connected to Prince Andrew. There's belief that she's been having some kind of an affair with Prince Andrew over the years. Uh, Prince Andrew has been outed as being involved in this um, this this whole uh, scandal of, of of you know getting with uh, younger girls and and being involved with uh, sexual abuse and this sort of stuff. And he's 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 been uh, he's been pretty much um, uh, you know he's been brought to the uh, brought to the floor on this by by the royal family um they he's been stripped of yeah yeah so well um he's yeah he's a big part of this investigation as well uh but that's what connects this whole thing now vicky uh people have to understand vicky um <laughs> It's oddly enough, but you know, my I'm a publicist, uh, you know, in, in rock and roll, and so and so was Vicky. Oddly enough, um, oh, yeah, okay. Vicky's been doing this for quite a while, like me as well. Um, she's worked with um, a lot of different artists, um, Marilyn Manson. Um, she's worked with Johnny Depp. Um, she actually, what I found out is she went uh, over to. Uh, to France, um, Paris, to help Johnny Depp open up a bar. She was doing the publicity for it to get this thing launched. And um, if you followed my story about this, the black, the two black books that I did in Chester Bennington, which ties in as well, that uh, this goes back all the way to 1947 in the Black Dahlia, and and that, yeah, we talked about that, and that's. That the the uh, that girl who died who got cut in half uh, this aspiring supposed actress was was working I found out as a lure for in 1947 for big mucky mucks in Hollywood including uh, uh, director John Huston being a lure to get them uh, kids and um, and then and then she was found dead that way and so. Um, this this connects because what I found out in my investigation on Black Dahlia is I named for the first time a prime suspect in that case that's never been named a guy named Man a guy named Man Ray M A N Ray A R A Y Man Ray he was a famous artist who came from France and he was in uh, America for a while at that time and oddly enough he was able he was allowed by LAPD to flee without any questioning they questioned one of his friends. A guy named George Hodel, who was a, a, a doctor and, and, and was doing uh, um, abortions and stuff for, for uh, elites. And um, and so he he was he was the one, in, including his son, Steve Hodel, tried to come out and say that my dad is the 
<clears throat> the Black Dahlia Killer. Well, that's not what I, that's not what I found. I found that it's the Man Ray guy that they're uh, that's being protected. He was allowed to uh, flee without any questioning, and he's done all this bizarre art where he's he's really into like abstract stuff and like the figures yeah. of women being dissected and cut in half in the pictures and stuff. And I don't know how much more telling that can be. Now, the most important thing to understand is that Vicky, when she was going uh, to work on this club with Johnny Depp, guess what the name of the club was, the bar? Man Ray it was Man Ray. Oh, my God. <laughs> what a... And Johnny Depp was infatuated with that. Mm. Yeah, well, you know, Johnny Depp, he's got his own, uh, his own controversies, of course, tied to that whole the River Phoenix death at his... His Viper, his Viper Room Club, and, you know, all this stuff is so fascinating because, you know, um, having been in, in Texas now for all these years and, and, and having grown up in L.A. as I did, all those, a lot of those clubs are just, they're gone now, including the Viper Room. And um, so it's a real, you know, that, that scene, the Sunset Strip scene has changed drastically. It's, it's still, it's still a, a great place for, for entertainment, but it's, it's changed a lot. And so... That, that club is real important to understand about this story. Um, and, and Johnny Depp and the, the River Phoenix, well, uh, believed was that he was potentially, um, he was potentially hot-dosed on purpose to kill him. And Johnny Depp's own partner in, in the Viper Room Club, he just went missing and has never been seen again. So Depp is, Depp is somebody that, <clears throat> you know, a lot of people have been keeping their eyes on, uh, and, and I think that that's stuff that's going to come out more in, in the open here in the future. Sounds good. Well, let's, uh, let's, uh, we got a few more minutes with you. Let's conclude this with a couple other questions about uh, Chris Cornell. Do you have a favorite song by Soundgarden Mark, and then Chris Cornell's solo work? Uh, that's a great question. It's a hard one to answer. I mean, I, I, I really love all his stuff, but, um, you know, Black Hole Sun is probably my favorite song. Yes, I love that song. And now they're finally going to release their final album with Chris on vocals. Do you have any information about that? Yes, I do. Yes, I do. Uh, hey, let's talk about it. I can't wait to hear this. <laughs> yeah, um, well, the, you know, that was something that Vicky was battling against Soundgarden, if you were following the news on that. And, and they finally just got things settled where now they're going to, Soundgarden can actually release these songs. They apparently had, after their last album with Chris, um, they had begun to do some more songwriting, and they've got six, from what I'm being told, six songs in the can with Chris. Um, right. I don't know if there's more, but I heard six, and so apparently that's what we're gonna um, we're gonna get we're gonna get a, a final Soundgarden now. That's what I'm hearing. And this is gonna no release date yet, but it's it's full go and it's gonna happen. Oh, I can't wait for it to happen. I know you'll have the information all about it. Dot com with, with the release date and everything. And before we move on to what reports you're working on next and all that, since you are doing this uh, uh, all day and all night uh, celebration of the, the life of Chris Cornell, would you be doing a special podcast for it like you did last year? Oh, that's a great question. <clears throat> well, um, <clears throat> I'll have my podcast will happen again here. Uh, it happens uh, every Monday. So it just, it just passed us this past Monday. If you go on Spotify to Rock and Roll Death Brigade, you'll get all the weekly episodes. Um, I will uh, we'll be talking about this report more in depth in the next podcast on this coming Monday and as well as the 
the vigil and, and how things have turned out. But the vigil is pretty much for everybody, for themselves to uh, take part in from their home, um, from their work workspace. Um, you want to you know, have a candle nearby. You want to light it. Maybe take a picture and post it on your Twitter, your Facebook, and put hashtag truth for Chris. Uh, however you want to do it, you can tag me, Randy Rocket Cody, uh, on the Facebook so it appears on my page. But it's really it's just something, for, I think, for people who are real close to his music and, and, and close to uh, uh, Chris as, uh, as, as, as a person in terms of what he meant to everyone, then you should, you should do something like that, you know? I will be uh, will be doing here uh, part three of the Chris Benoit uh, death oh. investigation. Yeah, we'll have part three, and that's going to be a big one. I, I've been really working hard on that. I've got some really incredible revelations I'll be sharing. That'll be coming here at the start of the start of the month uh, around that point, and then I'll have uh, more coming on <clears throat> Jack the Ripper, the Zodiac Killer, and uh, we'll get back into more on Brandon Lee. So we're going to have a whole yeah. lot of stuff going on. Uh, of course, you can follow me uh, on Facebook, Randy Rocket Cody. You can follow me on Twitter, Rocket Metal Den. And, of course, MetalDen.com and my uh, personal site, RandyRocketCody.com. Sounds good. Well, Randy, it's great to have you with us again. We'll get you back on again next month. And uh, we'll get ready to do some more in the month of June. Of course, ladies and gentlemen, follow him and become a part of... Uh, Randy's uh, uh, elite under the metalden.com and randyrocket.com. Make sure you do that. Follow him and support him as well and get there and read these wonderful news stories. When we get back here, we're going to close out this edition of the
This is a concerted effort. Politics of personal destruction. Fuck you, John Podesta. I did something really dumb. I'm not suicidal. I'm not suicidal. No, no, no. No comment. Not right now. In November of 2009, a woman named Laura Silsby founded a nonprofit the New Life Children's Refuge, which described its mission as attempting to rescue orphaned and abandoned children in Haiti and Dominican Republic. Two months later, on January 29, 2010, Silsby was arrested for attempting to traffic 33 orphaned children out of Haiti without documentation. These are some of the 33 Haitian children an American Baptist group allegedly tried to unlawfully take out of the country on Saturday. The group's leader, Laura Silsby, says the group paid no money for the children. The mistake obviously we made is we did not understand that there was additional paperwork required. To me it's pretty alarming because we're the legal parents of these children and we give her explicit instructions not to interfere with them. For her to continue to come and try to find them to take them to the Dominican tells me that her intent is not actually the best. The world would later learn through WikiLeaks that Hillary Clinton was sent email updates from Uma Abedin and other associates regarding Silsby's incarceration and developing legal case. This was not the first time Silsby found herself facing child trafficking charges. Silsby had been caught once before by Haitian police attempting to traffic 40 children out of the country. However, in that incident, no charges were brought against her, and she was merely turned back at the border. A week after Silsby was apprehended the second time, on February 7, 2010, former President Bill Clinton appointed Silsby a lawyer by the name of Jorge Puello. Puello was successful in getting Silsby's charges reduced to six months. Jorge Puello also had a colorful history with human trafficking. He was convicted of operating an international sex trafficking ring involving women and underage girls out of Central America and Haiti. Puello's wife was also arrested on the same charges. In 2011, Silsby was appointed as CFO of the software company Conexus and would later become its vice president of marketing. Conexus operates AlertSense which is the mass notification software used in FEMA's Integrated Public Alert and Warning System, or IPAWS. The goal is to alert Americans to emergencies like severe weather and missing children. One of IPAWS' functions is to issue AMBER alerts to the public in the event of kidnapping. The AMBER alert system was set up during Bill Clinton's presidency. In 2015, Laura Silsby married Norman Gaylor and took his last name which is how her name now appears on the Connexus website. How does a woman who was caught multiple times attempting to traffic children internationally get promoted to the executive team of the preeminent kidnapping warning system in the country? And why did the Clintons intervene in her trial? We're going to continue to provide support, as we do in every instance like this, to American citizens who have been charged and hope that uh, this uh, matter can be resolved uh, in an expeditious way. 
The morning of July 26, 2019, Twitter users saw hashtag Clinton body count trending. Just weeks before Jeffrey Epstein had reportedly committed suicide in his prison cell. The phrase Clinton body count was nothing new and had become a meme in forums across the internet years prior. It references the seemingly anomalous amount of Clinton associates who died suspiciously or under mysterious circumstances. Izette Folger, a close friend of Clinton associate James Alephantis, gave a statement in support of Silsby during her trial. Folger is the daughter of Michael Maccabee, who coaches leaders of Nuestros Pequeños Hermanos, or NPH, a large organization that runs orphanages all over the world. Folger's son, Max Maccabee, is on the board of directors of an NPH orphanage called Friends of the Orphans, which is one of the 760 orphanages operating in Haiti and happens to be the exact orphanage from which Silsby was caught trafficking children. Curiously, Max Maccabee gave an emphatic and lengthy statement of support for Comet Pizza during a contentious neighborhood commission meeting back when the Pizzagate controversy exploded. It is also worth noting here that Frank Giustra, owner of the Radcliffe Foundation, is on the board of directors for the Clinton Foundation and is a major donor to the organization. The logo of El Pita Home, a refugee center founded by the Radcliffe Foundation, happens to be almost identical in shape and color to the boy lover symbol that the FBI declassified in 2007. Now, regardless of how you feel about the veracity of Pizzagate, scandals seem to follow the Clintons. Their ties to pedophilia don't end there. Monica Peterson was a research intern at the Laboratory to Combat Human Trafficking and a research fellow and assistant director at the Human Trafficking Center. She also served on the Colorado Human Trafficking Council's Data and Research Task Force. Peterson wrote and spoke prolifically on human trafficking. On August 15, 2015, Monica announced her plan to visit Haiti to conduct research on human trafficking and subsequently began living there full time. On January 3, 2016, Monica shared with her friend Bella some of her findings based on her fieldwork in Haiti up to that point. Quote, Ms. Clinton has corrupt and dirty business to finish in Haiti. This is the theory my master's thesis puts forth. This is modern structural slavery. But the real significance of this scandal for me, I know you feel me, Bella, is the link to contemporary slavery and trafficking. I can't say to what extent, but there is human trafficking happening through the Clinton's Caracal complex. By this point, Monica seemed to be investigating the Clinton Foundation's child trafficking ties full time. On November 13, 2016, Monica Peterson was reported dead in Haiti, although no body was ever retrieved for the family's burial service. Monica's family was told that she committed suicide, but they were kept in the dark as to the exact details of her death. She seemingly took her own life by hanging, but since that time, things that have come to light that just don't fit with Monica's life. None of this seems to fit, and maybe that's just the way it's always going to be. Peterson's professor, Claude Estri, said the following about her death. Quote, She decided to take on one of the demagogues in the field of human trafficking 
she produced a 110-page analysis of human trafficking in Haiti. Two years of research, we were looking for someone who was smart enough and maybe brave enough to publish her work. I will continue to seek out and publish it for her. After making this statement, Deestri suddenly disavowed any connections between Peterson and human trafficking and the Clintons. Deestri said Peterson had gone to Haiti a number of times, but she was not there to research human trafficking and was not investigating the Clinton Foundation. Why would Deestri do a public 180? It turns out that he worked as a supervisor in the U.S. Attorney's Office on behalf of DynCorp between 1999 and 2002. This coincides with the exact time period DynCorp was caught sex trafficking children in Bosnia and Kosovo and no prosecutions were made. DynCorp played an active role in sexual abuses in Haiti. What if Monica Peterson was actually onto something before she died? What if her discoveries were true? Has anyone else unearthed the Clinton Foundation's alleged ties to human trafficking? Chris Cornell was the vocalist of the popular band Soundgarden. He and his wife, Vicky, worked with six different charity organizations for nearly a decade. In 2012, they founded the Chris and Vicky Cornell Foundation, which strives to support and protect abused and sexually exploited children from around the world. The couple eventually became involved with one of their foundation partners' organizations, Aid Still Required, helping sexually abused orphans out of Haiti. Aid Still Required has received massive donations from the Clinton Foundation. According to a source that spoke with Freedom Daily, it was during this time that Cornell discovered that these orphans weren't being placed into better environments after all, but were then being sold into sexual slavery and human trafficking rings. In May of 2017, Chris Cornell was found hanged to death in the MGM Grand Hotel, leaving behind his wife Vicky and their three children. He was discovered with nine broken ribs, blood splattered on the wall, and had suffered head trauma before he died. His death was officially declared a suicide, but his family and close friends insist he was in no way suicidal. Many of the details of his suicide simply don't add up. For instance, Chris had just performed a full concert with no apparent signs of having nine broken ribs. Chris's body was found cold to the touch, which would have taken at least two hours in a hotel room. This would place the time of his death between 11 p.m. and 11.30 p.m. when his bodyguard, Martin Kirsten, was reportedly with him. There is no official explanation for what caused the blood stain on the wall next to his body. His feet were touching the floor, meaning he was only partially suspended by his neck. Furthermore, Chris's bodyguard claims that he had to kick in the door to his hotel room to discover Chris dead. Not only is this nearly impossible to do without a door-breaching mini-ram, but the crime seat report indicated no sign of forced entry. After reviewing the autopsy report and position of the body, world-renowned forensic pathologist Dr. Werner Spitz concluded that Cornell's death was not a suicide. Dr. Spitz has worked with many high-profile murder investigations, including Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and John F. Kennedy, and served as an expert witness during the O.J. Simpson and Casey Anthony trials. One article reads, 
Speaking to TMD, a source close to Cornell has come forward, claiming that he had uncovered evidence of a cocaine and child trafficking ring in Mena, Arkansas, that was tied to Bill and Hillary Clinton. According to the source, Mr. Cornell had uncovered the identities of high-level elites that were part of the same satanic Illuminati occult operation as the Clintons and planned on exposing their goings-on right before he died. Two months later, it was reported that Lincoln Park frontman Chester Bennington committed suicide on Chris Cornell's birthday. Bennington and Cornell were reportedly working collaboratively to expose a pedophile ring operating in the music industry and elsewhere, although this cannot be substantiated. However, that doesn't mean that Bennington's death, and life for that matter, is without intrigue. Lincoln Park was handpicked by John Podesta to promote an organization called Sustainable Energy for All in Haiti, which received a $250,000 grant from the Clinton Foundation, even though they did not apply for it. Bennington and Cornell were both associated with the Haiti-based nonprofit Aid Still Required. One police source was quoted as saying that he believed Bennington was murdered. Oddly, the Los Angeles coroner's office took 130 days to release the autopsy report. Bennington's sister, Toby, has publicly indicated that she believes her brother shared the same fate as Jeffrey Epstein, who famously didn't kill himself. She claims her Twitter account was subsequently hacked and suspended after she publicly shared her suspicions. There does appear to be a striking resemblance between the faces of Bennington and Hillary Clinton's campaign chairman, John Podesta, which many have pointed out looks like a father-son relationship. The prevailing theory is that Bennington's mother, Elaine, had an affair with John Podesta, which would have been possible given that the two knew each other. The theory goes that when Bennington's biological father found out he was raising another man's son, he divorced her. Now, many investigators believe that Lincoln Park, the band, is an homage to Lincoln Park, a Canadian military base in Alberta that conducted MKUltra mind control experiments on children for the purpose of developing super spies and assassins. Many children involved in the programs at Lincoln Park were sexually abused. Bennington has publicly spoken of being sexually abused as a child. John Podesta, or Skippy as he prefers to be called, owns a large and vile collection of what can only be described as pedophilia art. Podesta was also chief of staff to President Bill Clinton. All right, well, you see where I'm coming from. Okay, yeah. When I, when I talk, that's because I'm interested in this ongoing... Whatever the hell they're doing. What's in your closet, John Podesta? <laughs> big Podesta? Big Soros? Do you want us to play these games? Because we're playing to win. In 2009, James O'Keefe of Project Veritas released undercover videos purporting that ACORN, the Association of Community Organizations for Reform Now, had been engaged in underage prostitution. 
none other than John Podesta was appointed to investigate the scandal. Journalist Andrew Breitbart was vocal about his disdain for Podesta. On February 4th, 2011, Andrew Breitbart tweeted, How progressive guru John Podesta isn't a household name as a world-class underage sex slave op cover-upper defending unspeakable dregs escapes me. Then, a year later, all throughout February 2012, Breitbart telegraphed the release of a video that he said would appear on March 1st. This video, he claimed, would be severely damaging to Obama's re-election campaign. Wait till they see what happens March 1st, he said. Right before the anticipated release on February 28, 2012, he tweeted, How much longer until they kill me? Heart attack or car accident? Or frame me for a crime? Read me while you can. Breitbart died of an alleged heart attack on March 1st, 2012, just two days later. The coroner who conducted the investigation died of arsenic poisoning just two months later. Given the gravely serious nature of investigating international child trafficking rings and their ties to Washington, Hollywood, and the Vatican, there have been many suspicious deaths of whistleblowers and journalists who have attempted to blow this story open. There is a preponderance of dots that, if connected, may point to those who seek to silence this message. Moreover, this industry of sorrow appears to be international in scope. Human traffickers see borders as mere lines on a map. It's important to draw the distinction between what I call lone wolf pedophiles and international networks. The networks allow the media to cover stories on lone wolf pedophiles because it feeds the idea that pedophiles don't work together clandestinely on an industrial scale. One need not look any further than the suspicious death of former police detective Mark Minnie, author of The Lost Boys of Bird Island, an expose of high-level child trafficking in South Africa. Shortly after publishing his book, he was found dead by gunshot to the head. His death was ruled a suicide, despite his family claiming he assured them that he would never commit suicide. An official cover-up of a pedophile ring involving former Minister of Defense Magnus Malan and three other National Party cabinet members. But family members say Minnie told them days before he died that if anything happened to him, they must know he was killed. He has been mentioning it to us for quite a long time. He expressed that his life was in danger. There is no ways that I or any of us believe that he would have opted out. And that is why I've actually agreed to do this interview, to dispel any thoughts and rumors that this could have been a suicide. 15 years ago, I was incarcerated and tortured by the government because of a book I published naming names of big uh, group of politicians and businessmen that were doing child trafficking. One can also examine the case of investigative reporter Lydia Cacho Ribeiro, who was beaten, raped, harassed, arrested on false charges, and had her home vandalized when she began investigating systemic child abuse in Mexico. That was the seventh time in my life as a journalist that I had to flee my home in order to stay alive.
In 2005, she published Los Demonios de Eden, The Demons of Eden, a book exposing a child trafficking ring involving politicians, government officials, and businessmen. Another suspicious case involves filmmaker Bill Bowen, who died suddenly under strange circumstances a year after publishing a trailer for his documentary, Innocence Destroyed, exposing corruption in the Child Protective Services. Is it unreasonable to assume foul play was involved with these three brave individuals when this pattern appears virtually everywhere that child trafficking is about to be exposed? Yeah, uh, called him. On May 13th, 2019, police responded to the scene of an apparent suicide where an individual jumped from a bridge onto a motorway before being struck by a vehicle. Corey Feldman, you are fake news and you protect pedophiles. Actor Isaac Cappy, age 42, had stated in a live stream just three days prior to the incident that he would not commit suicide. While making bold statements about the existence of pedophile rings in Hollywood, he acknowledged he was putting himself in harm's way and had proactively taken steps to ensure his safety such as setting up a dead man's trigger. Something bad is about to happen? Yeah, something bad's about to happen. We know you can't trust the cops, so I was like, what can I do to give myself time to save myself to insulate me? So, I gave them the thing that said I had a dead man's switch. What does that do? It means they can't kill me. They can't kill me. They can't kill me. Do wealthy and powerful groups engage in human trafficking and conspire to systematically cover up its prevalence? Are the whistleblowers correct in their claims of widespread pedophilia permeating the upper echelons of finance, law enforcement, religion, entertainment, and politics? We are left in perplexity. Do we go back to believing that activists on a moral crusade routinely kill themselves? Or do we take the harder pill to swallow and acknowledge that criminal syndicates will go to unspeakable lengths to evade prosecution for their crimes. Perhaps next time, we will pause and reflect on the brave mavericks that died exposing this monstrous black market. The next time we read a headline of someone who has been suicided. This is a concerted effort. This is a concerted effort. Politics of personal destruction. 